Would you open God's precious holy word to Galatians chapter 5? And we've come to verses 7 through 15. I don't, I don't like to do this much and embarrass people. But I just have to say that I'm very glad to see Dale Denny here today. He, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's been a very important part of my life, and I'm glad to see him here today and Reba. Called to freedom. As I thought about the overall message that Paul gives to the Galatians with regard to freedom in Christ... And how there, there are no works in true Christianity. That is to say, Christ did it all for us. So when we speak of works, we speak of works that Christ accomplishes through his redeemed people. Because we are in Christ when we are saved. We are born again. The Spirit takes up residence. And we are unctioned. We are, we are, um, we are open now to f- follow the, the will of God and our spirits are alive where formerly our spirits were dead. We were dead in trespass and sin, the Bible says. And so when we are saved, God performs a work in us such that he enlivens us spiritually that we can, that we can conclude that we are totally helpless Without Christ. So we don't have any, we don't have faith unless God gives us us faith. We don't, we don't have eyes that are opened to the light unless God opens our eyes and casts off the blindness from us. We don't have the strength. We cannot, we cannot love God. He first loved us. That's what John said. And we can't answer any call except the effectual call of Almighty God. It is the call of God that draws us to Jesus Christ. There's nothing in us. There's nothing in us that we can do to prepare ourselves to be saved, to save ourselves, to keep ourselves saved, because the Bible then teaches us that we have a great high priest in heaven who is working in our behalf. So he he sends forth his spirit, his spirit strengthens us, guides us, and when we fail, we are convicted. And we're disciplined and we have, we have benefits and we have uh, enactments in our lives given to us by the Holy Spirit that unbelievers don't have. And we have the ability now to study and believe the Word of God because the Word of God is a living thing. Hebrew book of Hebrews says it's alive and it does something that nothing else can do. It divides asunder the soul from the spirit. So now when we're born again, we actually find meaning and direction in the Word of God. We never could find that before. It would be a thing of confusion and and a thing of misunderstanding or or some people think it just can't be understood at all or whatever. But when we're born again, we, we have this new life and we grow in Christ and it all means something. And as I pondered that, Reflecting on this particular passage, but then thinking about the whole of the letter to, to the Galatians, I thought of how there is this uh, 
there is this uh, mixed form of, I'll call it Christendom, I won't call it Christianity, and a huge group of people are under this delusion who see themselves in Christianity but see themselves in something that requires works from within themselves as well as the grace of God in salvation in order to be saved, to maintain salvation, whatever. And that's just a horrible delusion. When we are in Christ, we're surrendered to Christ. We trust Christ by faith. And while we may not be the kind of person or servant that we want to be when we are initially brought into the faith, we know that in Christ that will change over time through the, through the process of, of maturity. This is what God in Christ does for us. We are just surrendered to Christ by faith. But so many like these Galatians are bewitched. They're made to think that they have to do something, some man-made thing. They, they, they have to perform they have to prepare uh, in order to be saved or to maintain salvation, whatever. But the beauty of being free in Christ is that we just trust Christ. We are surrendered to Christ. We know that the Holy Spirit lives in us when we are truly saved. We are obedient as far as we can be. We don't always understand everything in the Bible. So we read the Bible and we, we, we hook up on those things that the Holy Spirit teaches us because he feeds us milk first and then he, he goes to the stronger stuff as we continue and abide in the word and, and we mature. But we have this freedom in Christ that, uh, that is unique and it belongs to those who are really, truly, effectually called Christians. It's defined, I think, here across this passage. So I'm going to just sort of move as quickly as I can through this passage because I want to make, I want to bring your mind to 10 thoughts, 10 points that are, that are in these scriptures that we're going to see here. Number one, you were running well. Paul uses the illustration of running a race. When you read Paul's letters, you'll see in three or four occasions that he, he obviously enjoyed the sports of the day. He talked about boxing. Uh, he talked about running a race. So, so Paul probably enjoyed games that would eventually lead someone to the, to the Olympic Games of, of the Greek world back in those days. And he says, you know, you got a good start. Now, obviously, it's obvious I've never run track, but... Uh, but I know that you're supposed to bend over and put your feet on these things and then kick off. I know I've watched enough. I appreciate people who can do that. It's all I need to bend over. But, uh, but to get there and then to kick off like that, uh, to get a good start. And sometimes they'll blow the bell because a guy got the wrong start, you know. Well, in this case, Paul is writing to the Galatians. He says, you know, you got a good start and you're running well. Man, it was a good race. 
whew, you were doing it, you were jumping the hurdles or whatever. Everything was going well until number two, somebody cut in there and hindered you. Who cut in or hindered you not to obey the truth? Now, what was the hindrance? Disobedience to the truth or a rejection or a refusal to obey the truth. This was the hindrance. Now the truth is the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a very simple thing, but it is profoundly powerful and eternal. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ plus nothing. Awakened to sin and our condition and literally drawn to Christ by the power of Almighty God who gives us as a gift to His Son. These Judaizers come in and they add something to the truth. They twist, they pervert the truth. When I study the seven churches of the Revelation, I note that the first of the seven, the church of, at Ephesus, the Ephesians, were congratulated because they put to people who, they put to the test people who said they were apostles and they discovered that they were not apostles. Now the litmus test, there's only one litmus test and that is the word of God. There's only one absolute truth and that is the word of God. So it's obvious that the Ephesians had been taught very well uh, and, and had had good pastoral care. The Apostle Paul started the church, of course. So they, they understood when something wasn't right and it, and it couldn't stand the test of, in, in the case of the first church of the seven, the test of apostleship. The Bible gives us the test of apostleship. There are no apostles today. Uh, that was a early church gift that Christ gave. So then the Ephesians put them to the test. They understood the truth. The truth trounced anything else that was counterfeit or that, or that popped up along the way. In the little letter of Jude, Jude's general epistle, he's writing to people to be very careful about false teachers who are, who are bringing thing in, things, teachings in. Among those teachings were uh, to, die, to deny the lordship of Christ, the deity uh, of Christ, uh, and to turn grace into licentiousness. So the Bible is very clear, and all we have to do is study it, and we just stick with the Bible. And let the Bible teach us what is truth? We can't add to that. We certainly can't take away from it. Some people do. This is what was the problem here. The Judaizers, those who came in, were seeking to convince the Galatians that they couldn't just be saved by grace. They also had to be Jews. They had to, they had to submit themselves to the rituals of Judaism in order to be qualified for salvation. So that's the, here's the second point. This is not of God. This persuasion is not of the one calling you. Now, whenever you see this calling all the way through the New Testament, it's, it's, it speaks of the effectual call of God. 
God calls. You cannot resist the call of God. God calls. So here is the one who is calling them. But someone comes in and adds something to this. And what Paul says is, what you're hearing is not of God. It is not of the Lord. If it's, if it's something that violates the apostolic doctrine, the teaching of the New Testament, if it's something that violates that in any way, it is not of God. It is a hindrance. It's, see, the, 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 the analogy of a race up there, it's like somebody cut into the runner and messed him up and got him off his, off his track and, and, and slowed him down or whatever. This is not of God. This is not of the one who is calling you. So that brings us to number three. So anything that takes us away from the only gospel that there is, saved by grace through faith in Christ plus nothing. That doctrine, any kind of doctrine, any kind of teaching that is unbiblical, anti-biblical, uh, that works against the scriptures, some kind of man-made, oh, it may sound good. It, it may look good and it, people can be convinced. Uh, some people can be convinced of things that are extra-biblical. But here, and Christ is the first one who uses this illustration back in Matthew's gospel. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. It, uh, it spreads through the dough and it, it, it moves quickly. False doctrine, when not confronted, is infectious and it spoils and it's hurtful to the body of Christ. Paul's warning is this. We can't let this go unchecked. This is the foundation of who we are. Faith in Christ. You can look at the Old Testament and the Old Testament, the whole, the whole history behind it, everything in the Old Testament, the the centuries and centuries, the millennia of the Old Testament that lead us to the New Testament. Well, this was a preparation for the coming of the Son of God, who is the last Adam. He comes as the federal head of his people and delivers us from the curse of the first Adam. So... This is extraordinarily important. This is profoundly important. That all of our trust is in the only begotten Son of God. Christ would have wasted his time if there's some way that we could work ourselves into this thing along with what he, he did. You know, hey, I can take care of this from here. Thank you, Jesus. I'll, I'll take it from here. It doesn't work that way. It is all of Christ. And we learn in the New Testament teaching that what God has done through Christ for us, what God has done for Christ in us, is something that belongs to eternity. It is, it is an activity that, that, that is before the foundation of the world. When we study it properly, we see all of these things as fixed in the eternal purpose and mind 
of God. How can I come along and think that I can mix here and there a little something that sounds good, looks good, makes me feel good, or makes me important in the eyes of other people to tell them that they're just not quite there yet, you know? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. It'll spoil the whole church. You have to confront uh, false doctrine, erroneous teaching. It has to be confronted. Paul does it here. Jude does it. It's done, it's done in several places uh, in the New Testament. Everything that we invest ourselves into as Christians and as the local body of, of Christ, as the true church of the Lord, is in Christ. Christ. Christ only. We call people to Christ. We try to convince people of the importance because the New Testament teaches us of the importance of water baptism and of church membership and of serving and loving one another and being edified and being a part of the body of Christ and all of that. But the first and foremost thing, the foundation is Christ. That's what Paul writes to the Corinthians. There is only one foundation that can be laid and that foundation is Jesus Christ. Now you build on that either good things or bad things, but the foundation is Christ. And this is the foundation that we seek to lay through the work of the church, the preaching and teaching of the Bible. It is to draw people to Christ. If we are in the Old Testament, we're finding Christ there. If we're in the New Testament, we're, of course, we're finding Christ there. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. We have to correct this. We have to be sure because this thing gets people off course. And while it may not be as damaging to the initial group of people who begin to pay attention to this, those who just let it go, it can actually be a damnable thing to the next generation of people. A little leaven leavens the whole lump, number four. I am confident as to you in the Lord that you will have no other mind or, or no other judgment or thought on this. Now, I want you to notice the little phrase, in the Lord. This is where Paul's confidence is. My confidence is in the Lord because of number two, because of the one calling you, the effectual call. You see, yeah, hey, I can extend an invitation and I've had evangelists who, who can just make everybody feel like they were lost. You know, they just appeal to your emotions. But the only one who can really effectually call you into the kingdom is Almighty God, the effectual call of God. That, that's it. There's no mistaking that, none at all. No mistaking that at all. So Paul is confident in that. I'm confident. Paul says, I'm not confident in the work that I did I'm confident in the Lord who called you that you will have no other mind or thought. Paul was there when he planted the church and he called people to Christ. He turned away from the Jews and turned to the Gentiles and they came to Christ. They didn't even understand Judaism at that point in time. The concept of Messiah. The Holy Spirit of God did a work in their lives and they came by the effectual call of God. The Lord called them and Paul says that's what I have my confidence in. I was there, I saw, I know what happened to you. And I know that you'll have no other mind or thought. However, here's number five. The one troubling you will bear the judgment, whoever he might be. Jesus doesn't like people meddling with his church. 
There is judgment that will come in some form. I can't tell you how. Maybe in the last judgment. I don't know. But we have this assurance that Christ will judge when Christ is dishonored such that the message is Christ isn't everything. When that message is dishonored, there will be judgment. So that's point number five. You're headed for trouble if you just let this thing go on and on, troubling people. Number six. Now, brothers, if I still proclaim circumcision, why am I still persecuted? In that case, the offense or the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished or it's been made effect ineffective. I also wish that those upsetting you will castrate themselves. <laughs> Here we go. Hey, I, I like Paul. Uh, They are saying, don't let this apostle Paul fool you because back in Jerusalem, hey, he had a guy named Timothy and, and he, he made Timothy get circumcised, you know. Back in the book of Acts, you'll remember the story. Timothy had a pagan father and a Jewish mother. And Timothy became the son in the ministry for Paul. Paul said, your mother's a Jew, you're born a Jew. But for Timothy to have an effective ministry, he guided Timothy to be circumcised. Not to be saved, but Timothy's situation was unique in that he, was, he, he had a Jewish mother. And if Timothy had not been directed by Paul and led by Paul in that way, then people would have said that Timothy was coming according to the pagan teachings of his father. And not the Jewish teachings of his mother. To preach to Jews meant that someone had to confront two things. Number one, a crucified Messiah who was crucified by Gentiles. That was a big stumbling block. The cross was a stumbling block. But the second thing was that the gospel of Jesus Christ had made the law of Moses ineffective. Now these people had grown up in that. That was, their that was their calendar. That was their lives. Everything they did centered around the law of Moses. And you bring people to a point where you say, you don't really have to do that in Christ anymore. Christ has set you free from that. They have a problem with that. So they had those problems. Now in order to preach to the Jew first and then to the Greek, Paul directed Timothy, advised him to circumcision. So... Paul addresses that. He said, you know, if that was really true, if, I, if I'm preaching circumcision, why are they chasing me around everywhere? As a matter of fact, that's what Paul did before he was saved. He, he persecuted the church in the same way that these Judaizers are persecuting Paul. He would go in and he would root them out, telling them that they had to be Jews. If they weren't Jews, they couldn't have any part of, of, the, of the Jewish scriptures, the Jewish Messiah. They hid. They even let him be killed. But he was delivered from that. And he said, if that's really true, why am I still persecuted? Because if that was true, then I would be making ineffective the, the cross, the preaching of the cross. And then he makes this. 
I don't know whether to call it beautiful or bizarre. I also wish those upsetting you will castrate themselves. Galatia was under the great pagan influence of Phrygia. There was a big worship in Phrygia of the, of the mother goddess, Kibele. I suppose transliterated, you would say Sabil. Sabili. C-Y-B-E-L-E would be the transliteration of that. Kibele. Now, when you look up her statues, the, the things they, the, 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 the idols of, of Kibele, she's a big old fat woman, this big old fat woman. And she has a lion or two lions beside her. And she, she, she had all kinds of uh, powers, you know. She was a healer and all this stuff. But in order to become a priest, to Kibale, a man had to castrate himself. Now, here's what Paul is saying. It's, I like it myself. He's saying, you know, you may as well be a eunuch of Kibele. Because you're not doing any more good in what you're doing than what they're doing. So why don't you just join them? At least you won't reproduce anymore. That's the gospel according to Charles. You can take that or leave it. This was a harsh, horrible thing to say. I've been pretty mad at people through the years. I don't think I've, even I've ever said that to anybody. <laughs> but it shows you how serious the situation was with regard to the teaching of these Judaizers. You're no different than the eunuch priests of Kibbeleh, so you may as well join their caste and be who they are. You'll have, you'll have no more effect in the kingdom either way. Number seven. You were called to freedom, brothers. We talked about that freedom a little bit last week. Free from the guilt of sin, the penalty of sin. Free now, really, to obey the Lord, to follow him, to be Christ-like, to be in Christ. But then quickly, number eight, but not the freedom for an opportunity to the flesh. Even Paul acknowledged his struggle as a believer. It's in Romans 7 and 8. I've been born again in the spirit. But my spirit is being carried around in an unredeemed dead body. And that's a struggle for me. It's a struggle for you. 
we're not glorified yet. And that flesh sometimes looks for an opportunity to show its ugly self, its rotten, dead self. And so I struggle. Now, a lost man doesn't struggle like that. The struggle means that you're a saved person. Not to struggle with that means that you're still dead in sin and, and your dead spirit belongs to that dead body. But not a believer. So, in Christ, the freedom that we have in Christ must never be seen as an opportunity for the flesh in any way at all. The flesh is self-centered. The flesh is selfish. The flesh is all about me, me. But here's number nine. Instead of that, rather through love, serve one another. For the entire law fulfilled in one word is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That comes from Leviticus. That's, that's out of, right out of the Bible. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law right here. You're called to freedom. That freedom must not be hindered by the flesh. But in that freedom, instead of self, 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 me, me, in that freedom, love and serve one another. Put the other guy ahead of yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is where we are in our freedom. Free to obey. Free to love. Free to serve. Free to walk humbly with God. Because the pride of the flesh is something that the born-again spirit wrestles with all the time. We all do. Which brings us to number 10. However, if you bite and devour one another, take heed lest you might be consumed by one another. Confusion, abuse, number 10, abusing one another. I'll tell you, one of the silliest things that one can think of is for people who are supposed to be Christians to get in a fight with one another, one another over their Christianity. That's kind of oxymoronish, you know, it's just... It's not right. Because here's the end result. You just assert yourself and you don't love your neighbor. You just love yourself ahead of everything else. And you give every opportunity to the flesh. And you'll start biting and devouring. And before long, you'll eat each other up. You'll be gone. Christians are humble. Christians are servants. That's what Christ was, is. This is the spirit of Christ. 
in us. I'm reminded of a story, true story by W.A. Criswell. It was before he went to First Baptist Dallas, he was at a church in Oklahoma. He had heard the story of an old deacon whose powerful personality had caused a split in the church decades earlier. Old guy, couldn't hard, could hardly get out of his rocking chair. But the story was that the split was over which side of the stage to put the organ on. This old powerful, strong-willed deacon had decided that the organ had to be on one particular side and that anybody else who opposed that was just wicked and wrong and evil and not of God. Criswell, the young pastor, goes to visit this old deacon in his rocking chair with their niceties and, and all. Finally, Criswell came around and said, well, brother... They tell me that you took a great stand on where to put that organ that we have in the sanctuary. He said that deacon's eyes lit up and he sort of livened up a little bit. Had his cane in his hand. He said, boy, he started pounding the ground, the floor and is telling him how awful those other people were to think otherwise. Chris will end the conversation with this question. Which side of the stage did you decide on anyway? He couldn't, he couldn't remember. He didn't know. The hill that he wanted to die on, he couldn't even remember where the hill was or how it was. It's an example of selfish Christians who just, it's all about me, it's all about me. So Paul says, you know, we can overcome everything through loving one another, serving one another, be obedient in our freedom, be obedient to Christ, let Christ flow through us. But if you don't do that and you let yourself swell up with pride, you'll all be consumed by one another. We have this beautiful freedom in Christ to follow Christ. To be like Christ, to serve Christ, and to love others as we love ourselves. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? We'll be dismissed from here in just a moment. If you're here today, I want to tell you that there are three things that are vitally important in your life before the Lord. Number one... Is to, be, is to be saved, is to be in Christ. Number two, after being saved, to be baptized in believer's baptism. It's a great testimony. And then number three, be an active and vital part of a local body of believers. If God has laid on your heart that you need to settle one or two or all three, of those issues. As you exit the sanctuary today, there are deacons and their wives in rooms 
There are two rooms just as you pass and head toward the exit. You will see where they are. They're waiting to talk to you, to speak with you, to pray with you. If you want to settle up on any of those or all of them, I invite you and encourage you to stop in those rooms on the way out. Would you? Father God in heaven, thank you for letting us worship. Lord, I, I pray for the body of Christ everywhere. I feel like we're under an attack like we've never seen in at least my lifetime in our country and the world. And we all have a sense that things are different. And many of us have a sensitivity that the Lord is coming soon, that you're going to send your son to catch us away. Father, give us strength. Teach us humility and service and love toward one another. Guide us in the path that pleases you. Fill us with yourself in these last days. I pray for all of those who are sick with the virus or otherwise, that you would touch them, bless them, give them strength and healing. I, I pray for those, Lord, Otherwise, that we might be delivered and protected and sheltered from the sickness that plagues the world. And Father, in these last days, perhaps it is that you are separating to yourself finally the true church. Using the circumstances that exist to test and prove our faith. So Lord, give us strength and courage and blessing in these last days. And as we are dismissed from here now, dismiss us with your love and guidance. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.